when I'm over in Africa, one of the things that, that really strikes me is how much time they spend during the service <clears throat> talking about family matters within the church. And so we're not going to do that the entire service, obviously. Uh, they go on for about an hour. But I would like to take a couple of minutes and talk about some family matters. Um, first, if you have your family news bulletin inside there, it's the end of summer bash right up here. That little red bash there, end of summer bash. That's August 25th, next Sunday after church where the Coobs are going to host it again at their house. They have an indoor pool this year. So um, if you have a one-piece bathing suit, parents need to be there. There's some rules and stuff like that. But we have a pool. We have a bunch of great things for the kids to do like we had last year. You know, bringing food. We have tons of food. So it's going to be great. Make sure you mark your calendar. And please make sure you read your family news bulletin for all things that are going on because there is a ton of things going on. September the 8th is really the kickoff of the if you will, the church calendar, um, you know, Labor Day is over, everybody's back and, you know, everybody's coming back to church and it's, you know, from being on vacation and being away or just kind of sleeping in. But um, for some of you, but uh, it's, it's September the 8th. It's kind of back to church Sunday, if you will. Um, there's a couple of projects. That I'm going to give you kind of an update of where we are. We have done so much this summer uh, working on these projects for the church and um Two of the things, two of the projects that still need to be completed, and they need to be completed by September the 8th because we have women's Bible studies starting up. We have different men's Bible studies. We have life groups. And we're using that area behind the swap wall. It's one huge, actually two huge, not huge, but two big rooms. One thing about Grace Chapel is we have huge rooms like soccer fields and sport courts and all that kind of thing. And we have smaller rooms. We don't have any medium-sized rooms. So there are two medium-sized rooms. One still needs to be completed. So number one, um, I need your help on a couple of things. I need some people to help out maybe finishing off the painting in there, tearing up the carpet. And it's a little carpet squares. I pulled two up this morning just with two fingers, so it's not that hard. Pull them up, throw them in the dumpster. I want to move this along, and we're, we're kind of tight right now on budget-wise on how much we can spend for the year on construction-type things, but we have had so much go on and accomplished so much, but I want it, we're, we're going to keep going because we have to finish that room, and that, so that's number one. Need some help over there. If you want to talk to me after the service about what you can do, that would be great. Need to get it done the next two and a half weeks. Also been talking about the landscaping from the road in front of the air conditioning heating systems right out here. We're going to put trees just like we did along the railroad track here in the Bay Area. The whole thing's going to be landscape. It's going to be a seating area for people to go out there three seasons and just sit out there and relax and talk to each other. There'll be uh, grass and trees and some, you know, some pathways out here all the way around to this side where the bay goes down this way as well. So it'll all be landscaped. We're running a little... Now, let me say this first. We have received more this summer, probably than any other summer in the history of our church. We are at least $2,500 to $2,800 a week ahead of last year's giving. A week, not a month. So the church is growing. Finances are really doing well. But we, we really needed to get some roofs fixed in this, in, in, on the campus. We need to do like room renovations, children's room renovations. Put the, and we put a new roof on the, uh, you know, fix the roof on the thrift store, on the offices, all those kinds of things. So we're running a little bit tight. So someone in the church came up to me before I went on vacation and said, hey, listen, I heard you're doing this. I will match half of what that costs. 
And it's going to cost us, it's going to cost us. If you know anything about landscaping, what I just described, this number is not going to shock you. Matter of fact, it's going to, you know, you're going to be, yay. Um, it's about thirteen or $14,000 to finish off, tear up the blacktop over there, drill holes in the, the concrete, put the trees in, fill it up with dirt, gravel, the whole nine yards, make a drain, all that kind of good stuff. Um, put some large rocks and boulders in there so it'll look really, really nice. But about thirteen or $14,000, half of that someone will match. So um, if you would, I would love it if you guys could go home and talk about matching that $7,000. Every little bit counts. And then we basically have that finished, completely landscaped. You know what it's going to look like when you drive in or other people drive in now or drive by and see the whole side of this building with trees and grass and flowers and, you know, roses and those kinds of things. It'll look awesome. Awesome. So need your help with that as well. That would be um, that would be happening in the next two to three weeks. Uh, we will be we will be finished. I shouldn't, you know, if the Lord wills. How's that? I'm like, if the be the Lord's will, we'll be finished by September the 8th. So when you invite all your friends to Grace Chapel, um, they'll drive it and say, man, I'll tell you what, from now on, when that's finished, I'm going to get up every morning and say, welcome to the beautiful campus of Grace Chapel. Every single time I'm going to do that. Um, One other thing I'd like to talk about, Lauren's going to come up. Lauren is David Mead. David Mead's wife, the youth pastor's wife, she's going to come up and she's been working with the, the uh, um, New to Youth Thrift Store. She's one of the leaders there. And she's going to describe to you some of the things that are still needed and some of the things that are happening there. That one on. As he was saying, my name is Lauren Mead, and um, I am leading the New to You thrift store. And um, we are reopening tomorrow uh, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we would love to have your help this afternoon with food provided. Um, from 12 to 5, we need some men helping move some really heavy fa- uh, furniture in the furniture not room. Not that heavy. It's not well, really not, heavy. Sorry, it's I just, shouldn't say really heavy. To scare them away. It's, no, any, okay. any real man can lift this stuff, no problem. Okay, that's right. that. <laughs> I only have so many muscles that can work for it. Um, heavy but, for Lauren, but not for a real man. Go ahead, keep going. So, sorry. Um, and then I would love to have some women helping clean and spruce up the store. And um, we also, in the future, will have youth from 4th to 12th grade that I know they have school volunteer hours that need to be filled. And we would love to serve them in helping with that with incentives included. So, And that will be um, determined as soon as we figure out all the hours that every school needs. So if you would like to sign your student up, 4th or 12th grade, you're welcome to come and see me, and I can give you all the details and what um, we'll need for them. And then if you're an adult, man or woman, um, and you would like to volunteer and you have some open time anytime during the week, um, I would love to have you come along and serve you and the community and here on the Grace Chapel campus. And I thank you so much for your time and all the volunteers that have been there for the last three weeks. Um, I cannot tell you enough how appreciative I am for you and all of your dedication and hard work. And where the store was and what it looks like today would not be where it is without you. And thank you so much. Thank you. That's great. Good job. That's good.
Yeah, I'll tell you what, they've really worked hard. You know, I, I, um, I did the smart thing, went on vacation for two weeks while they were doing it. But, um, <laughs> so that's why I need you in there now to finish it up. It, it, is, it looks incredible. If you want to drive by the landscaping in the front, the inside, the roof is fixed, the, any lease problems that we were having, the landscaping in the front, the inside, it's just repainted. It looks amazing. And just like the food pantry, we would like really to have the Grace Chapel folks volunteering and really involved there for every hour you put in serving there that's money that can be going overseas or in our own community um the thrift store is a is a real good money generator and now i think it's it's going to take off and be even better than before one last thing i wanted to bring up is um is jim here jim are you still here he was in first service um, I still want to talk. I want to still want to tell you about it if he's not here. But um, Jim was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer and liver cancer in December. And we got up shortly after that. And we you know, told all of you and had him stand up. and We prayed over him. And we've been continuing to pray for him. And, you know, I hear all this news, but don't get a chance to share it with everybody else. Well, Jim has been telling me uh, all the news along the way. And every time he gets uh, a checkup and they check the size of the tumors, they keep shrinking. The largest tumor, and if you know anything about cancer, pancreatic cancer and liver cancer are not a good thing. Um, Very, just really bad. Um, And so, obviously, my heart was breaking, difficult for them and for the church but the largest tumor has shrunk 67%, which 67, amen. Yep. Six, 67%, the largest one, and every other tumor has, they've been shrinking as well. So every tumor is shrinking. They actually took him off chemotherapy for a period of time because they said, let's let your body recover. So he's got his, you know, he's growing his little beard back, and, you know, his hair's come back, and um, he looks really, really good. You know, he's, he's got good weight and everything. And, and so I want to ask you just to continue to pray for him and, and for his family. Uh, pray for Jim as God continues to heal him. He's on a, a lower dose of chemo right now uh, so that it doesn't really uh, affect his body as much. And they're taking him off the, some of the other drugs. Um, so just great news, you know, just great news. And I wanted to give you an update on that because I know so many of you, when you hear those things, put them on your prayer list. And, and then you may not hear the updates, but that's just a, that's just a praise God kind of update. Um, to see him out and he, if you don't know who he is jim is a greeter and he's a he's tall he's a he's a greeter out there he's smiling face every sunday serves here faithfully and god has just um uh seen uh in his in his wisdom and in his heart to to bring jim to that point so let's keep praying though let's just let's just keep praying one last thing you notice that jen wasn't up here this morning my daughter jen who leads worship um oliver her son fell on a little incline yesterday and broke his femur so i know so jen's pregnant and ollie's now in a cast from body cast from here all this whole leg and half the other one so the doctor said you know we can get him a skateboard and he can push himself around for six weeks on a skateboard this does not bode well for a pregnant mom you know what i mean and so um just pray for them because it's going to be a bit of a challenge for the next uh couple of months while he recovers, breaking your femur is not a good thing. Pray for his pain because they got him on pain meds, but no pain meds unless they knock you out, uh, cover all the pain of a broken femur. So just pray for a little while. He's three years old and, uh, and pray for the family as well. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. I'm going to read through 41. 
Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 41. <clears throat> you have heard it that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If one strikes you on your right cheek, turn him the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I'll stop there. This has been a very interesting series. I've had a blast, I'll be honest with you. And what I heard when I was gone, um, what Chris Cox did and then what Drew Baker did the last couple of weeks just thrills my soul. I heard nothing but glowing reports from both of those sermons and how amazing they were and how much uh, someone said, man, we have a deep bench in our church and we do, we really do. And people say, well, what do you feel like when people say, man, that that guy was great. You could stay on vacation kind of thing. That is (laughs) honestly, it's the best feeling in the world. The worst feeling in the world is to be on vacation and know that people may not come to church because the person up there, blah, 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 and the pastor's gone. But in this church, when I'm gone, you miss, you miss a lot because we have phenomenal speakers. We have phenomenal pastors who are up here. We do have a deep bench in a lot of areas of our church, and that's one of them. So as we've been going through this series and, and God's been working in our hearts, you know, we, we talked in May about we're going to start at this place spiritually, and by September we're going to be in a different place. And I really believe that's happened. I really believe that the quality of the things that we've been talking about, the depth of what we've been talking about, the passion that those who have been speaking and how they've been speaking and what they've been sharing has really impacted the lives of people within the church. I see that firsthand. I know that people are growing spiritually, and that's what we wanted. We wanted to start out one person the beginning of the summer and end the summer a different person than when we came in that building and went out the back door. So that's been really, really exciting. So I read you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 41, and I want to share a little story with you that kind of goes along with it. When I was, in, when I was at Nyack, it was our university that I went to in New York. It was a Bible college. And um, in one of the classes of my freshman year, I think it was my freshman, freshman or sophomore year, the, the professor came out and he said, okay, he was kind of walking through some scriptures and he said, I have a moral dilemma for you. And I thought, wow, interesting. I've never really, I, when I wasn't a Christian most of my life, so I didn't really have a lot of moral dilemmas that people would throw out. Here I was, at, at, you know, at Nyack and they're throwing this moral dilemma. He said, okay, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to tell you is um, all the adults just use your imagination. I'm not going to get into all details. So he said, a guy breaks into your house with a gun. He said, he hits you with a gun, knocks you down, and he ties you up, and the husband up. He ties the husband up, and then he's going to harm your wife. You know, he's going to harm your wife. And then after he's done harming your wife, he's going to kill your wife. All right, that's the, and, and so he said, now, you, you're, you're, you're tied up, and he puts the gun down, and before he starts doing anything, you know, it gets to whatever, he says, you get loose, the gun is there, he sees you, and you both jump for the gun, and you get it first. And I'm actually sitting there thinking to myself, and what's the moral dilemma? You know, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> is there more to this? Um, and, and I'm in a class of like 50 people, and there was, there was two married guys, myself and one other gentleman, and everybody else was not married at that point. Out of 50 people in the class, 48 of them said that they would allow the person to harm their wife, kill their wife, and then kill them. And 
And, and a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Jesus said to turn the other cheek and, and blah, 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 and this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, when he got to me, I was like, you know, I'd shoot him. And that'd be the end of my problems. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I think my wife is expecting me to defend her, you know. So I'm going through this. I didn't, it really wasn't a dilemma for me, but for 48 other people. Now, the only other person who said they would shoot him is the other guy that was married. The two married guys were like, uh, we're confused. And everybody else was like, well, what if, here's the interesting thing too. A little side note. One guy's going this deep theology of why he would not, and you know, that maybe the guy would get to heaven and blah, 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 and he'd take his life. And then he's cheating in the next class and the guy next to him on a test. I'm thinking to myself, you're not going to defend your wife? You're going to cheat on the guy next to you on the test? I should have told on him. See, it was a moral dilemma for me. I didn't know what to do. So I just, you know, figure I'd tell the professor and get you into trouble. So, so, I mean, so there, you know, so you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, what do you do in those situations? Because we continue this series, Great to Good, Uh, This is one of those verses that is really challenging in our Christian lives. I mean, as as each of us reads this verse at different times, as we're reading through the Bible, we read that verse. It's a challenge. It's a really challenging verse. I listen to people. I love to listen to people talk about this verse. Because if you listen to them long enough, they'll talk, but then they'll say, but. Well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but there's always, there's a but that's on there. Or what if. And what I hear the most, really, is people will go through this and they'll say, well, does Jesus expect us or does God expect us just to be, you know, uh, you know get stepped on or, or pushed around to be a doormat? It's the doormat that really most people use. Does Jesus expect me to be a doormat? Now, remember what we said the first week of our series? We said that if we want to understand the word of God, if we truly want to understand the word, that we need to dig below the surface. You are not going to get all of what the Bible has for you if you don't dig below the surface. It's amazing. You can read that passage and, and basically say, okay, Jesus tells me to turn the other cheek and you've been in situations and, and, and strictly laid out. You turn the other cheek, you don't, you don't retaliate, you don't seek revenge, which is what it means, that's true, but it means so much more, we'll get to that. You know, don't retaliate, don't, don't in that way seek revenge. If someone does something to you, you don't sit around and think, how can I get them back and do the same to them that they did to me but there's so much more in the word of god you read it the first time and you read it again and you study it even deeper and you begin to realize man there's more to what jesus is saying here than meets the eye so what does jesus mean by these words what does he mean by this does jesus expect us just to stand around and take a beating does jesus just expect us to be doormats you know here's the thing a lot of people are thinking if if you know, I, I think at this point, maybe in your in this series, you're thinking, well, if you're going to go that direction, Pastor, this is a little overboard for me. I'm not sure if I can go that far. If walking in the good way means that I have to be a doormat, means that I have to take a beating, if someone comes up and starts, like the, the other students or whatever else, if that's what it means, then I'm not sure that I can walk in the good way the way you're asking me to. Well, for starters... This passage is often misrepresented. It's misinterpreted and it's misrepresented. And Jesus is not really asking us here. He's not asking us to stand there and take a beating. And he's not asking us to be a doormat. He's not asking us to do those things. Throughout scripture, Jesus is not asking us. He says, put others before yourself. He says to sacrifice for other people. You're going to see how we can do that in this passage. But not the way you may think. 
To understand the meaning, we need to understand the context of Jesus' statement. There's always a context in which people are speaking. We live in America. We have a culture in America. We do things a certain way. We have certain thought processes. Certain things mean something to us. If you say something to me in America, I understand what you're saying. If someone from another country hears you say something, they can misunderstand what you're saying based upon the words that you're using. But we grew up together so we know they flow we know they go in certain contexts it's just the way it is so in this context we need to understand what is jesus saying within the historical context that we're talking about here and the situation obviously that i want to focus on this morning is really the verse where jesus says that we should turn the other cheek see when most people read this when most people read this just first time they think that jesus is basically saying that if we're threatened with violence or or actually violence is being perpetrated upon us, that we should not respond at all, that we should stand there. We should basically stand there and not defend ourselves. And even beyond that, we should deliberately leave ourselves open for further attack and damage. So if someone comes along and hits you, punches you, you should just stand there, lower your hands, and let the person do further damage. That's what people think when they first read this, just flat out. And so sometimes they sit back and go, well, I, that's ridiculous. I can't, I can't handle that. So if, if that's what it really means, was I wrong at college? Was I wrong when I, when I said I, I had the gun? There is no moral dilemma. Was everyone else in my class except for one of the guy, were they, were, they, were they right? Should I allow this person to kill my wife, harm her, kill her, and then kill me? When you're being attacked, should you not defend yourself? Is that what Jesus said? Don't, don't, and, uh, under any circumstances, don't defend yourself. And given the opportunity, the only thing you can do is really to run away Or just stand there and let the person pound you. You see, Jesus is saying so much more than we think. There's so much more than we think. The interpretation of this passage goes beyond uh, even a pacifist uh, attitude, which is a pacifist would say, if you find yourself in a situation where someone's going to harm you, you have one of two options. You stand there and take a beating or given the opportunity, just run away. Just run away. And the people who would say that this passage teaches all of us that we should be pacifists really haven't thought it all the way through. They haven't really dug deep enough to to get a a larger understanding of what Jesus is trying to say here. Because I don't believe that this teaches us that we should all be pacifists and never defend ourselves or defend anyone else around us. Others would say that Jesus is just exaggerating for effect. He's exaggerating for effect to make a point, like a hyperbole. In other words, uh, like when we say, uh, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, don't exaggerate. Right? (laughs) At least some of you got the joke. No, it wasn't a joke, but it's true. If I've told you once, I've told that is what, is that what he's doing? He's he's, he's exaggerating for for effect? I I, I don't think that's what he's doing here. He's not just trying to make a point. He's making, he's had this large exaggerated, you know, theme here to make a point. He's not just trying to make a point. Like when he says it's harder for a rich person to get to heaven than a camel to go through an eye of the eye of a needle. Obviously a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. He's not, he's not stating something that's possible in that, in that, in, in that verse, but he's certainly stating something possible here. Jesus is not 
asking us in this verse to do something that's impossible. So you can kind of get that out of your mind as well. It's not an exaggeration for effect. In the Bible, this is why, I hope this morning awakens your your passion to read your Bible. Because in the Bible, everything, every word that's used in the Bible has purpose, has a meaning. Every, Every single word is important. Every single word matters. Jesus says this, okay? If someone strikes you on the right cheek... So why doesn't Jesus say if someone punches you in the face or if someone knocks you down or if someone, someone uh, punches you in, in, on the cheek in general or the left cheek or whatever else? There's reason that he uses the right cheek here. Why would he say right cheek and not just whatever? So you need to understand we're talking about a, cult, in a, a culture where being left-handed was really looked down upon. If you were left-handed in this, at this time, period of time, you, it, was, it was really frowned upon. As a matter of fact, people who were left-handed tried as much as they possibly could to use their right hand because being left-handed was literally seen as a disability. So if you were left-handed, you had a disability. Imagine. Now, God's not saying this. This is just the culture. So that you have to keep that fact in mind. Take that fact now, you know, place it somewhere. So left-handed, you didn't use your left hand for these things. So there was a disability. So now imagine, if you will, that you are confronted or that you're facing off with an opponent. All right? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone you can just kind of face off with. All right? Just go face-to-face with them for a second. Just if you have to turn around a little bit in your chair and everything, if it's your husband or wife, stare lovingly into their eyes for a moment. Just, you know, it's, it'd be just, and it, you know, you guys back there just kind of keep you just, you know, spread out a little bit. Um, so, so now what I want you to do is I want to take your right, I want you to take your right hand and put it on your right cheek. Okay. So put your right hand on your right cheek. Now here, here's the thing. How can you strike a person sitting opposite you on their right cheek with your right hand. Don't try it. Don't anybody try anything. Okay, just sit there. Don't get ahead of me, all right? Don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead. So, so now you've got to figure, how do, you strike, how do you strike a person with your right hand on their right cheek? All right? Now, you can do it if you fight like a sissy, okay, like this or something like that. It might, you, know, you can smack them like this, but, you know, that's not real. That's a sissy fighting, all right? So you, you, you think about it. How then do you strike the person? Punching them won't work unless you're a cartoon character and you have like these rubber arms. You can go around and like smudge them in the face. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not going to work either. So, so how then do, is it done? Think about it. The only way that you can strike a person, slap a person, whatever, on the right cheek with your right hand is to do what? Backhand them. Now, we're getting somewhere. Okay, stay in the historical context here. To backhand them. So, okay, turn to the person to you, you were sitting with, and let's try it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't hit the... <laughs> Did you get a hug from Pastor yesterday? No, I got a big backhanded slap in church today. Uh, you know, well, you know what would be interesting if we actually, if I actually had you do that to see who would turn the other cheek. See, well, you know, all the spiritual people in the church. How many of you would turn the other cheek when someone back, backhanded you with their right hand and, and the face? Now, I, ha- I have a friend who says... <laughs> who says sometimes, man, if you slap that person, God would say amen. That's what they, that, that's, 
There are some people who just need to be slapped, but you're not the one to do it. All right, I remember one time, this has nothing to do with, well, it, 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 it pertains to the sermon a little bit. I just came to my mind, so I'm going to use it. Um, I remember driving the car with my dad, who was a contractor. I was about six, six, seven years old. He's driving the car. He's a, he's a big guy. And I'm sitting, he's sitting in the driver's seat, obviously. I'm sitting right here next to him. My brother, who loved to be mouthy once in a while, was sitting on the other side. And I guess my brother thought that my father couldn't reach him. So my father's driving along. My brother, my father says something. My brother just started yammering away. My brother, my father just went, you know, right there with his back. <laughs> and just kept on driving, you know. That's not child abuse back then. It's just good parenting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was like, and I, I thought it was hysterical. It wasn't me getting slapped. I got the, I got the, the, the forearm and everything. But it's, it was worth a little bit of the forearm to see my brother get slapped in the back. And then, <laughs> it's like, wow. I was like, wow. Look at dad. He can smack me while he's moving. I remember that too. And I kept that in mind. I kept that in mind. Okay. But anyway, okay. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus was talking about a slap from the back of the hand here. He's talking about a slap from the back of the hand. Why is this significant? Well, how many of you have ever seen a movie or have uh, read a book where they talk about knights and nobility? Or um, and in that movie, you know, someone is defending their honor or the honor of their family. When they're doing that, what do they do? Right? They walk up to the person who has offended or whatever else, or they feel like, and they take the back of their hand, either with a glove, which is whatever, or the back of the hand, and they slap the person, right, with, that, with the back of the hand. It's a slap. Man, that is like throwing down the gauntlet. When you slap someone with the back of the hand, when you slap someone with a glove that way, you're basically saying, hey, you know, it's on. You know, you, it, you, you, you slap the person with the back of your hand or with the glove. It is an insult. It's an insult. Even today, you think about it. If someone disrespects you, if someone disrespects you or someone personally harms you, what do you say? You say something like, man, that was a real what? That was a real slap in the face. Someone disrespected me. Someone personally harmed me. I was harmed by that person. You say, that was a slap in the face. I got on and Googled slap in the face, backhanded slap in the face. Even today in our inner cities and different areas, I'm not going to get into the words that they use, but you can figure it out. When you slap someone with the back of your hand, there are words that even today, and even today in our culture, it means something. When a man slaps another man in the back of his hand, that means something. When a man slaps a woman with the back of his hand, it means something. There are still words for it today. So this is a sign of disrespect. Disrespect to strike someone on the cheek with the back of your hand is the ultimate insult. It was the ultimate insult. It's insulting to have someone come along and slap you with the back of your hand. Why? Because it is how the upper class, those who in higher social class, would treat slaves or women who didn't do what they wanted them to do. They didn't serve them the way they wanted to be served. They were displeased with them. And when you were displeased, if you were in a higher social rank or you thought yourself better or you thought yourself superior to that other person, what you would do is you would slap them with the back of your right hand. Now, Jesus obviously respected women, respected the poor, respected slaves, but in this culture and that day, they did not. Women were treated as inferior and incapable of defending themselves against men. 
standing up to men. So this is the context. You slap a person that you feel is inferior to yourself. To slap someone with the back of your hand is, 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 is to treat them with contempt, to treat them as less than human. You think about that. When you slap someone with the back of your hand, you're saying to, you are so insignificant to me. You're not, you are not worthy of anything else but the backhanded slap. So here's the deal. So if the persecuted person, the person being slapped, okay, pulling all kind of left hand, no, you know, backhand slap. If the person who's being slapped by the person with the right hand across the face turns the other cheek, they put the attacker in a very difficult dilemma. Think about it. All of a sudden, that person has to stop and they have to think. They're in a difficult dilemma. The left hand was not only seen as a disability, but it was used for unclean purposes. So the person who slapped the person the first time now has to make a choice. And I'm telling you, they're not using their left hand in this context. They're not going to use their left hand. They're left with a couple of different options. They can open hand slap you in the face as a challenge or they can punch you in the face. But the problem with that is that would be seen as a statement of equality. See what's happening here? You turn the other cheek, you're forcing the person to change the way they're going to hit you, okay? They can no longer backhand you with their right hand. You've turned the other cheek. They're forced to either open, open hand slap you in the face or to punch you in the face. Either way, that would be a statement of equality. So to turn the other cheek in this context also meant to reject the claim of inferiority. You're telling the other person, I am not, you're, you're saying to that person, I am not worthless, Uh, You cannot treat me this way. I am not going to be treated with such disrespect. In other words, you need to treat me as a person of value. I'm creating the image of God. I have value. If you're going to strike me, you're going to strike me as an equal. You're going to strike me as an equal, someone worthy of your respect. But see, in that context, again, you're forcing a a large issue in someone else's mind. They have to think this through. And this is part of the equation. This is extremely important. But I'll tell you right this. This passage is not talking about you being a doormat, is it? No. Oh, no. This has nothing to do with a person being a doormat, a person being pushed around, a person staying in a dangerous situation within the home or something like this. This is not what it's talking about. Just take a beating. Put yourself, if you're being abused, you just stay. You don't, you don't, don't stand up to you. Don't stand up to this person. Let them continue to do this. Let them continue to do that. That's not what it's talking about here. That's one of the reasons a lot of people have a problem when they read the Bible, but don't go deep enough. Jesus never tells you to stay in, a, in an abusive situation. Never. Never, ever. But we read passages like this, and it's somehow, you know, hey, take a beating, you know, just take it and, you know, we'll all go to heaven someday. It'll all work out. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I reject, I reject this whole idea that I have no value. I want you to, if you're going to hit me again, you're going to hit me as an equal and you're going to hit me as someone who you respect. I'm forcing you into that position. Far, my friends, from the idea of a doormat. This was standing up. This was truly standing up for yourself and for your dignity. This was standing up. This was standing for truth without hitting back, right? 
So you think, well, yeah, you're allowed. You tell me I can hit everyone back. But no, I didn't say that. Without hitting back, but without stooping to their level. You're not hitting back or stooping to this person's level. You've done something. It's, Jesus is so amazing. It's kind of like when they came, they brought the woman who committed adultery, and they're saying, oh, we got him now, we got him now. You know, you know the law of Moses says this, and you're telling everything. What do we do? And he says, hey, you, he was without, the, the, without sin, cast the first stone. They're all like, duh. They drop their rocks and walk away. You know, he's God. You're not going to trick him. This is what he's saying. You, there are ways that you confront these kind of people without having to use violence in this situation. There's a way that you can handle it without stooping to their level. This was, a, this was making a statement without resolving to harming the other person. Listen, this was a message. It's still a message of, of peace, but also a peaceful resistance. Does that make sense? It doesn't change the, the concept of what Jesus is talking about here. This was still a message of peace, but also of peaceful resistance. If you think about it, if you're a guy, most women haven't gotten into a lot of fights in their life, maybe when you were younger or whatever, but most guys have gotten into fights at different times. Guys, what, who would start a fight except a dopey guy by slapping you in the back of their face with their cheek with their right hand? Their first punch, if they're going to throw a punch, is a weak-handed slap to your face. What is that going to do? Tick you off and give you the first real punch. It, you know, if someone wants to beat you up, my point is this. If Jesus is talking about someone beating you up or beating you around or abusing you, whatever else, the first person, the first punch thrown by a guy who wants to beat you up is not going to be the back of his hand, his right hand, and a slap to your cheek. Remember again, I'm going I'm I'm to reiterate this. The backhanded slap was a sign of dismissal, a sign that you're not worth my time and I'm going to put you in your place. That's what we're talking about here. Culturally, that's what we're talking about. Not just a, you know, beating up someone. It's about dismissing someone. You're not worthy of my time, and I'm putting you in your place. So on one hand, Jesus is proposing a way to answer an insult without starting a fight, without getting into a fight. And also, like I said, without stooping to that person's level. So you don't, you don't get dragged into something. He's given us a way to respond, obviously, culturally here. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that we can do it in our own culture. But he's saying there's our ways of responding in situations that you face without having to, you know, be someone else determine who you are as a person, but also without resorting to revenge or violence or a, you did it to me, I'm going to do it to you. At the same time, this is important, at the same time, Jesus is not describing a situation where you are put in a position where you have to defend yourself or your family, but you can't. You can't. Someone's got a gun in a bus. He's going to shoot all the kids on the bus. You stick your hands in your pocket and say, uh, you know, run away. What? What do you do? That Jesus is not saying, well, if he comes, he's, you know, if he comes at you first, just stand there and let him pistol beat you and then go shoot everybody. That's not what he's talking about here. If someone tried to do that to children, I'm pretty positive what Jesus would do. I'll do it, you know, what would Jesus do? He'd take the gun away from the guy, and, you know, he's God, so he'd probably just go boom and, you know, wave his hand or something like that. Um, but what would Jesus do in those situations? Jesus is not calling us to stand there and let other people be harmed. Listen, if you are in a situation where someone is being harmed, even if they're not in your family, and you go and defend that person, 
and try to subdue the other person, you're not breaking, okay, a biblical worldview. You're not going against a biblical worldview. Jesus always, always wants us to find a peaceful solution and a way out. But he doesn't want us to be pushed around by a world, uh, by the world, and and for the world to have uh, an opportunity to try to change our identity or who we are, you know, to dictate our identity. Here's the deal. He doesn't want our, our identity to be dictated by a world where people don't even know who they are. People will try constantly to dictate your identity in the world. Jesus is not saying you need to stand there and let someone else dictate your identity. What he's saying is turn the other cheek. Reject. Defy their claim. Defy their claim. They're making a claim. They're telling you that you are this. I am claiming that you are this. And Jesus says you defy their claim. Jesus is looking for people who know who they are and who know, understand their purpose. And also who want to help other people understand their purpose because this is what it's all about here. It's not just about you and I being able to stand up for ourselves and defy a person's claim. It's also helping the other person see. Jesus said, put another person before yourself. Sacrifice for other people. When you do what he's describing here, when you understand this passage and you apply it to your life, you're helping the other person as well because certain things begin to fall into place. Listen, the best way to derail your life, the best way for Satan to derail your life is to redefine who God truly created you to be. Think about that. He's already done it to so many people in the world. They have no idea who they are out there. They're walking around like chickens with their heads chopped off. Sheep without a shepherd. People walking around have no idea. And God is saying, I've created you for a specific purpose. And God wants you to know who, he wants you to know who you are. So that when someone comes and responds a certain way to you, you handle it the way Jesus tells you to handle it. You are not only changed, okay, you not only hold your ground and are not influenced by them, but they then are become influenced by you and your behavior. A backhanded slap in the face is the same as that person who told you, you will never amount to anything. You are worthless. You're a piece of garbage. That person who tried to redefine who you should be. You're not as good as. You will never achieve that goal. You will never fulfill that dream that you have. It's the same type of thing. People have said that to you. That's a backhanded slap. Defy their claim. They don't dictate who you are. God dictates who you are. So when the world insults you and ignores you, discourages you, tries to redefine you, cheats you, disrespects you, disregards you, Jesus says, stand up and turn the other cheek. You see, that changes you, but it also changes the other person because now they have to think through, they have to process through why they're doing what they're doing. You have forced the other person to ask the question and go in their own hearts and think, that, think through, the process through, why am I doing what I am doing? It, it, it challenges their way of thinking. They have a specific, when they come to you, okay, and they backhand slap you verbally, whatever it is, 
when they come to you, it challenges their way of thinking. They have a worldly way of thinking. You have a biblical way of thinking. They come do that to you. You turn the other cheek. It challenges their way of thinking. And then they have to look into their own heart and ask some really serious questions. It is really awkward when, you, when someone does something to you and you respond with confidence and you turn the other cheek, if you will, but you respond with confidence. They're, the person in this context, they backhanded with the right hand. You turn the other cheek. They're standing there and they're in a dilemma. Now what do I do? Do I open hand slap them? Do I punch them and say that you are now an equal with me? What do I do? Can't use my left hand. Can't use my right hand. I got to put my hands in my pockets and think through what I'm doing in my life. And that's what Jesus wants them to do. He wants you to change or maybe not to change based upon their words. And he wants them to change and look into their own hearts. Listen, it may help them turn from the delusion, the delusion of their own superiority and greatness, if you will, to an attitude and a heart of goodness. And that is what God calls each one of us to do. And that's what God calls each one of us to help others to do. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you so much for this series and for your word and for the depth of your word and the, just the richness of it. Every time we dig a little bit deeper, we find some new nugget of treasure that we can use for our lives. God, I pray that we would take this treasure that we have found this morning, apply it to our own lives, and also to the lives of those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week. And if anyone would like to help down at the thrift store, you can just Pop on down there now. We have some lunch provided as well. Have a phenomenal week.